You're listening to Rooted, a podcast by the Association of Black Psychologist Student Circle. In this episode, we got Dr. Bedford Palmer to talk about his experiences as the chair of the Student Circle and share a little bit about his new book, Daddy, Why Am I Brown? Enjoy and don't forget to wash your hands. everybody doing welcome to a new episode of rooted we're here with a very esteemed special guest we finally got him dr bedford palmer welcome <laughs> i would i don't I, I'll, I'll own the finally got me it was it's not that i wouldn't come on man it's that uh, <laughs> just, just having the fates didn't align to allow me to respond in the right ways and stuff so i apologize no i hear that I and he's back to you bro <laughs> No, he engages in a lot of up on the very beginning. <laughs> this is what the students will do to you. They'll scare you up before you even get started. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's what bro. we have to do, man. Keep people on their feet, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, tell the people, you know, not everybody is as aware of all the work that you engage in. So so who is Dr. Bedford Palmer? What do you engage in? What's the work that you do? Um, I'm sorry for the mouth sounds right now. I'm a podcaster and I sat there and drank some stuff on the on the mic. <laughs> um, so what do I do? Who am I? Um, I am, so I guess like the simplest way is like I'm a psychologist. Um, I'm a black psychologist. I am a professor. Um, I'm currently an interim department chair for my, for my department. Um, I do podcasting. I have recently written a children's book consulting um uh you know i i try to do things that focus in on working towards building a more socially just world and that you know that sounds big but it's like small things you know what i'm saying so uh, my research focuses on social justice uh and uh multiculturalism diversity uh, my my teaching pedagogy is focused on critical race and critical theory and and, and just like looking at social justice from that perspective. And my work as a psychologist is, um, is focused on taking a critical lens through like black psychology um, to do socially just uh, multicultural psychology. And so if you're listening, you can already tell the CV is crazy. One thing I'm gonna throw in there, he's also a former student circle chair, former student circle president. So as this is geared towards people in the student circle and anybody else that would uh, like to listen, can you talk about how the Association of Black Psychologists Student Circle and maybe ABCI at large kind of prepared you for all the stuff that you've done? So, yeah, uh, well, I was, I was a chair. Um, like we, we weren't presidents. There was a separation between like those titles, like the, the um, the president was the president of the, the whole ABCI and the chair was a student circle as a committee, right? Because we're a subcommittee. Um, yeah, the student circle was like my, I, I, I literally got on the student circle board at the very end of my first ABCI. Uh, and so my experience with ABCI started with being involved um, and, and that lasted for quite a while. Um, so my first ABCI was in, I want to say 2005. Uh, no, is that right? 2005? Yeah, yeah, 2005. Uh-huh. Wow, that's 15 you, years, you check, crazy. Yeah, yeah, so um, <laughs> I was I was uh, at the Miami. There was a ABCI convention in Miami. Um, and uh, it was my first ABCI, and it was also the ABCI where there was a huge schism between the students, the um, the students, the early career professionals, and then everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, primarily, like the it was early career professional students versus the the more seasoned mid career and like late career professionals. The elders were kind of external to that to a certain extent because they helped to to bring us back together. But, um, you know, I went to that convention and, I, you know, if you're as an ABCI student, when you come in, you probably have all had the experience of like, you come in and you're just kind of like, whoa, this is a conference. What does this mean? What am I doing here? Let me get something to eat at this little thing, you know? <laughs> and right, you know, you find the spice station with the free food because you're a grad student. Uh, so you yeah, don't find that, right? You know what it is. <laughs> so, yeah. So I was uh, at a plenary uh, at the opening and 
I was grabbing some food from this little buffet space. We're out on a, ba- a patio and this this uh, woman walks up and she's grabbing food from, she's like behind me. Um, and the sister is like, you know, she's nice, like ABCI people are to each other. And mm-hmm. she starts to introduce herself uh, and she's just like, oh, the food's good here. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's, it's cool. You know, and she was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. So I was like, oh, well, my name is Bedford Palmer. And she was just like, oh, yeah, my name's Linda. James Myers. Crazy. And I was just, and I was just like, huh, <laughs> what? Yeah, <laughs> you right? Know? It's different. Because uh, <laughs> I'm writing a thesis right now, and your name is all up in it. <laughs> hey, oh, all right, man. all right, all right. You know, I do my little detail. All right, all right, all right. You know, um, and try to play it off. But I was, you know, that was the first kind of starstruck moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you have those when you're when you're going to that. Um, and I had a lot of experience during the time um, with some of the students where I, we hung out and I started to like build relationships with people. And there were people who were actually, um, I think the the current chair at the time was Shate Richardson, Dr. Shate mm-hmm. Richardson now. And the chair, the the former chair at, before her was Esmenari Obasi. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, that was their what they presided over was a, a form of the student circle that I wasn't actually um it wasn't it, if I could put it like th- that was like the one that was a that was a phase of the student circle that I got to have some contact with that kind of shifted once uh I think after Chate's uh, uh a year we had Leonetta um and then Marva um, and then me, mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, then it was Leandra, and and so on and so forth. But like basically, when when we started the student circle, one of the reasons of the the schism was that um, early queer folks and students were treated in a way that we felt was disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I say we loosely because I was new, but I still mm-hmm. felt it when I was there. Um, there was a big problem with the way that the speech went for the the installment and the way the installment ceremony went. It it was off ritual. There was some there was some big problems. And to give you kind of an understanding of the time, uh, this is 2005. Text messaging was kind of new. Um, okay. Right. So like I know all y'all yeah. right now. You're like, what do you mean text message is new? Yeah, exactly. You always do text messaging. <laughs> no, no. It's like it, it was a new thing. Like, and what happened is during the the speech. Um, some folks were having a hard time, like getting through it, and and they were having a hard time with the way it was going and the whole instrument process. And so, while the late career and mid career folks were kind of having dinner and having their conversations, the younger folks were literally texting about all their problems with what was going on. This big text chain happened. So it was mm-hmm. it was it's actually a really interesting thing because there was like two consciousnesses happening in the same moment that were separate away from each other. And then it started to become physically true because um, at some point that conversation on text became a crescendo and folks started to walk out. Wow. And so um, at a certain point, like all the younger people started to walk out in little ones and twos and then it got bigger and bigger. Folks on the Diaz walked out, you know, um, who were students who were at the front of the room Kind of got up and were like, I'm good. Um, and so when I was finally, when I finally walked out too, um, I found that all the folks had kind of gathered and they were being, I think it was Elder, was it Elder Thomas or Elder, Elder Williams was out there. And uh, it was, I think it was Williams and he had stopped everybody. And there was this conversation going on where he had been like trying to kind of get a understanding of why we had all walked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to participate as, again, not really like central at all, but as a part of this group of folks who engaged the elders at night to interact with them. And there was this big kind of come to Jesus after talk to the to the actual uh, installment where we stayed out. And it was like the last night in Miami. People wanted mm-hmm. to go out and do stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're like exactly. In this, yeah. We're in a conference room, basically. All the, all the like youngish people were talking to all the older people and like basically talking about how folks were being disrespected and the whole idea was that like if you're if you're a graduate student in ABSI you're not a kid you know exactly. you're, mm-hmm. you're you're 
late 20s, early 30s, possibly your 40s, you know, and what was happening was folks had been taking the idea of elder and like kind of abusing it, like, mm -hmm. um, and not understanding that they weren't talking to kids, they were talking to young adults or they were talking to fully realized adults mm -hmm. um, who may or even be like their peer, except for in the in, within the field of psychology. Exactly. You know, and so there was a large conversation about that. Um, and there was a lot of like stuff that went into it that there was a lot of emotion and there was a lot of like people who kind of had to work through it and end it with, uh, it didn't really end with a great resolution to be honest, but there was a, a kind of decision made by some of the younger folks um, about whether they were going to leave ABCI or not. Um, yeah. And I was one of the, the group of folks who said, no, we're not leaving ABCI. Like we're going to try to change it, but we're going to stay connected to it. So this was like kind of a big uh, sea change moment for ABCI, I believe because the students basically decided that we didn't like what the trajectory of the organization was. And so we were going to impact it through our actions as opposed to kind of leaving. Some people mm -hmm. left because they were so hurt. Um, and a lot of those people, a lot of those people have come back and some of those people kind of come back and, and leave and come back and leave um, because ABC can be hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, and so, but for us, the people who became the people who were leading the student circle at the time? Uh, we said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna affect change in this organization in the ways that the organization has taught us to affect change, and we're just gonna use that on them, you know. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, uh, to to kind of get to your question your, about like what I got from the student circle, I mean, I got like a huge amount of support. Um, I got, I had like a bunch of the brothers and sisters who were, who had my back and were able to, you know, help me figure out things about grad school and you know, doing applications and doing all that kind of stuff, how to be a mentor, how to be menteed, all these different things from a peer level, you know, cause I had my mentors like, um, yeah. coming in, I'm, I'm a mentee of Dr. Joseph L. White. I'm a mentee of Dr. Thomas Barham. I'm a mentee of, uh, Dr. Uh, Michael Connor. And those are like, in terms of ABCI, those are the people who, who who brought me along, you know. And then I have like you know more close level mentee mentors like Kevin, Dr. Kevin Coakley, and mm -hmm. you know Dr. Um, Dr. Uh, 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 why am I having a hard time? Um, wow, Dr. Christy <laughs> Hagens, okay. uh, Dr. Clay Davis, you know some other folks like that, uh, but. Um, you know, you know how that works. It's like there's yeah. this whole groups. But for me, my experience was like kind of working through the student circle and I started off as uh, the comm chair. Uh, so like the, a lot of the infrastructure that y'all still use, the Facebook pages and the Yahoo groups and all that stuff, mm -hmm. like you still might see my name as owning some of that stuff because there was no way to get rid of it. But like I created a lot of it. Um, and I'm not saying that out of, you know, it is what it is. It's just that I was there when that kind of stuff developed. You know, um, and so I, I think was that me and Rashika, me and Rashika Renty were were both comm chair for a while, um, and we worked on stuff like that together. And then from comm chair, um, I eventually moved into chair elect position, and kind of moved through. Um, the thing that I was saying that we were using to change stuff was that we were going to we had a kind of an internal plan that sprung from a document called the Coven. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's like a a, um, a white paper that was written by Esmenario Bassi and, and some other folks um, about who were student leaders and and uh, and uh, early career leaders. And the, the call to action was about how do we change the organization to, to be more useful and more up to date and more open to folks. Um, and so we were using that as our internal doctor room without telling people we were doing that. And the way we, we affected change was basically we made the student circle as strong as we could. Um, and we used, we did the things that we wanted the organization to do. So we, you know, um, we wanted to bring in student voices. And so we increased our membership and we pushed to get, um, to get better recognition in the organization. So some of the big things that we did was, uh, one of the biggest things that we did is we were able to um, 
first get student votes to be counted as equal votes to members mm. um, because that wasn't how it was, you know, um, and we were able to lobby and, and, and get folks to kind of work with work, work with us with that. Wait, is that right? I could be wrong on that. Um, I believe you. <laughs> that's, I think, I think, yeah, I think we needed, um, I think we, yeah, we needed, we needed members to, we needed to like get our votes in. I could be wrong. So I, I might have checked that. What I do know, um, so long ago, yeah. uh, <laughs> one of the big things that was like, that came out of like our efforts was to be able to make local chapters. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, because wow. before, yeah, like when when I came in, um, and before that, student circle chapters had to be connected to a, um, a, a professional chapter, and so you basically worked as an ancillary organization, and you know there's not that many professional chapters, mm -hmm. so we were limited, and that meant that for instance you couldn't have student circles in the college campuses because they just weren't unless you were in LA or you were in the Bay Area or you know like major major cities where there was like an a b side you weren't going to mm -hmm. do it so once we made that change and i'll tell you i think the deciding vote on that change was uh dr hal fairchild he was supporting us and that was like the big deal yeah. uh that yeah you know and that happened in when we were in oakland when i got installed actually like when i first came into president um that was uh that was what opened it up so that now there's you know, AB size at all these different colleges and universities across the country uh, before that they weren't there. And so that that's a big deal. And that also brought the membership. So one of the things that we prided ourselves on was that we always had money. Like, like our we were the only committee that had money all the time. Um, but we always had to fight about that. We had to fight about getting bank accounts. We had to fight about doing all these other things to kind of be respected as an autonomous committee within AB side. Mm -hmm. um, and that's probably stuff, it's stuff that's cyclic and it happens over and over again. And it's something that the students should know is like, for instance, if you have a conversation, if you're on board right now, and there's a question about whether you should have a bank account, that question got closed in like 2008. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So, but like people forget, you know? Mm -hmm. um, the other piece is we got ourselves the installment process. And so, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so the there was not an installment process for the student circle, um, and we got ourselves a separate one. So when we were doing it, there was like a separate installment process specifically for the student circle. It happened at lunch, the, mm -hmm. the day uh, one of the days before the last day of the conference, usually on Friday, I think. Um, and we had that whole time to ourselves. We had our own stools. We have our own symbol symbolism that was like put together by students. You know. Um, so myself and some other folks, uh, Dr. Leandra uh, Clark Harvey, um, and some like Marva uh, and and Leonetta and like the different people on the board, as well as like some folks from the ritual committee and uh, Dr. Uh, uh, not 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 uh, what's his, he's right here. I don't even know why I'm having a hard time because uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh when I say his name because you're gonna be like, why would I have a hard time? But I have yeah. a few names. Uh, brother who wrote the, uh, the uh, African psychology, uh, Wade Nobles. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right? So he, you know, there's like a whole group of people who came together and put that together and like brought the symbology of it and all that stuff. But like that was like a big deal because having an installment ceremony meant that we were legitimately part of the leadership and that our board had legitimate power and we could do we could do stuff and when we did and so you know uh, there was a lot of things that happened over the time that i was uh that i was active in abci where there were big changes with the way that the students interact that i think that y'all are living in right now in mm -hmm. certain ways uh, and i think that because of that there are continued membership in like like so when I when you look at the early career professionals, the people who who are in their first like ten years of getting into uh, their their license and all that stuff, those are all people. For the most part, those are people that my folks recruited and were our peers. You know what I'm saying? Wow. So like those are my people, right? And they were, we got introduced to ABCI together, and some of those folks wouldn't have got introduced to ABCI if it wasn't for the student circle. And so like as a professional member, right? 
So, because I've been talking as a student a lot, right? But I'm a professional member. I'm almost done with being an early career professional, but I'm not going to forget the fact that the students, being a student was the vitality of the organization and continues to be, and it needs to be. All the way back to 1968, students were right there. You know, Wade Nobles was a student when, when he got involved. Mm. You know, he was an undergrad student. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So like, we, I think what happens is, is like we move different levels. We move um, kind of different spaces. And when you get there, you start thinking, well, my space is the most important space. And so you focus there, but you, if you're not careful, you forget that there are people who are doing what you are doing. So like you doing this podcast right now, that's innovative. Mm-hmm. You know, that's putting out this podcast that- being out in the, out in the world might be one of the biggest outreach pieces to ABCI that's out. You know what I'm saying? Even though it's just you in this in this room, you know what I'm saying? Like, and you with like exactly. one mic, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's huge. Some psychology yeah. student is going to be going through Apple and looking through the, the podcast and be like, what the hell is this ABCI thing? And suddenly um, they have access to all these people you're interviewing. You did that. You know? I appreciate that, man. I appreciate that. Um, and to everybody who doesn't know, like, people who are just joining the student circle who might be listening to this in the future, joining the student circle, you'll see a lot of the stuff that he just mentioned, like is, is landmark milestones, right. For the, the student experience. Like I could say for a fact, in terms of the instrument ceremony, in terms of representation, uh, these are all things that I've tremendously admired since becoming a part of the student circle board. And yeah, I'm just gonna send that thank you to you for all the work that and the people around you, right? Who put in that level of groundwork, and I appreciate that, man. That's incredible. Well, I mean, it was a group, you know, and there was a crew. We had like a y'all have a. I've seen y'all. Y'all got like a lot of people, but we had, you know, we we did too. We had like all the regional reps, you know. We had our our regional reps. We had our undergrad regional reps. We had our core committee or exec board, and we used to roll hard, you know. And so like I'm not gonna take. I can't. I'll put it like this way. I can't take credit because I got to see them folks yeah. and they don't watch this <laughs> podcast and suddenly I'm going to be in trouble. So like, nah, I was, you know, I had my time as chair, chair elected, past chair, and I did certain things and I feel like I was central to certain things, but everybody had things they were central to, you know, and everybody, and none of it could have been like, you can't have done something you're central to without support. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So if I, if I wrote, if I wrote this thing or I did this thing, it was with other people helping me to write that and do that. And that's how you, that's how we have to kind of, um, I hope that's how the student circle still runs is that y'all are working and supporting each other. No, I could definitely echo that. I definitely feel that level of energy and coordination and uh, yeah, cooperation among you know the student circle in terms of how much we trust each other. We're responsible for different aspects and one thing I'm going to have to do, though, is place you back in the center because I do have you for the podcast. And so for everybody who doesn't know about Dr. Palmer, he's also it, it's interesting to hear you talk about how your initial experience with the student circle started with what at the time was new in terms of texting. And now you're everywhere on social media, right? You have, I think, over a thousand followers on Twitter, on Instagram, on various apps. And you know there ain't that many followers, man. You said that like that's a lot. Hey, listen, let me like, do my podcast no, thing. I don't, I don't got no K's after me. <laughs> let I, me need, do I, need, I need to switch to the K instead of... <laughs> listen, let me be the hype man. All right, let me be the hype man. I'm, I'm going to build it up. There's some, there's, some, there's some elders listening to this too, and for them, like a lot. So, <laughs> okay, um, okay. <laughs> but if I could ask you, uh, I do believe some of your work also engages in the psychology of social media and how to take advantage of those platforms. So um, how, how did that come about for you as a part of your professional development and what impact do you hope to make with those platforms? You know, I think that the, I, I'm one of those, uh, I, I'm one of those people who there's a generation of us who moved from analog to digital at the time when it was like, when we were at kind of this peak of flexibility, you know, mentally, you know what I'm saying? So like, I remember rotary phones and I remember dial stuff. And like, I remember having to dial up the internet when there was no such thing as internet, when computers were like having a color screen meant you had green Uh writing on it, you know what I'm saying? To the black background, like the, shoot, I I, I mean, my first TV was black and white. My second and third TV were black and white. 
like to introduce, <laughs> introduce you guys you to know. Elder Elder Palmer. Oh Lord. <laughs> oh. No, but I mean, like, but when I got to college, you know, that was when the internet started to explode. That was literally when, like, the internet became accessible to more people than just the nerdy people like me who was sitting in the lab during lunchtime in high school trying to play internet games slow and not working, you know? <laughs> but, like, we had IRC chat and all that stuff. So, like, I'm saying that because, like, email, I remember when email became a thing. I remember getting an email from, like, when I was, when I was an undergrad and, like, this this girl I like like emailed me and I was like, what is this? You know, how how do you fit this into the game? I don't get this, you know. How, how'd she even get my email? I don't know how to, you know, that was like a thing, you know, like and and getting a cell phone and all that stuff. So what I'm trying to get at is that I've I've kind of been sitting there as all the different technologies pop up and it's just been a matter of paying attention. And saying like, oh, we can use this this way. We can use this this way, you know. Um, so like back when I remember having MySpace and Black Planet and like um, getting on Facebook when it was brand new and mm -hmm. figuring out Twitter and like Instagram. And I mean, like I am getting to the point where I'm like, I don't really understand some of the new stuff. I think there's something called TikTok, and I I'm no, like, TikTok the, for you. I was about to say, <laughs> yeah, I'm not really. I know people are using it, but I'm I'm getting to the point where I'd be like, so uh, brother Evan, you set me up a TikTok account real quick. Explain it, not, uh, but you you know what I mean. It's like mm -hmm. I'm getting to. I'm feeling the the moment when I'm gonna start needing people to like put the VCR together for me, but I'm I'm trying to stave it off and push it away. Um, I think in terms of like social media, the thing that so I do pay attention to it. I, I used to make, you know, I made websites when it was brand new to make websites and things like that. So I have a certain understanding of it, but I, I wouldn't say that, you know, I've been able to utilize it to the level that like some people, like, you know, popularity wise, like, you know, I, I think I've, I've been able to pull a certain amount of following. Um, and I definitely know how to use SEO. So if you put my name in, into uh, Google, you're gonna find everything mm -hmm. about me. But um, I think the thing that was like the most cool and innovative of like internet stuff that I've done or social media stuff had to be naming it. Like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and um, me and Lamisha putting together that podcast, um, we were the first people to approach, um, to be psychologists who are approaching social justice as the, the main issue within a podcast. I mean, some other people were doing things about you know, particular psychological issues, like, mm -hmm. like different diagnostics and, you know, Ill wellness and different things like that or advice and stuff. But we were the first psychologists, black psychologists, counseling psychologists who decided like, hey, we're going to talk explicitly about social justice. And we're going to we're going to show people that you can have these conversations in a healthy way and show people how to have those conversations in a healthy way that's both like, you know, honest and empowering. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'll own that and I'm proud of I'm proud of doing that and being part of that. Um, so so that's that's where I'm, you know, and that's where the numbers actually got kind of crazy, like where mm -hmm. you're like, oh, a million people listen to this. Wow. Mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> like that's that's a crazy number, you know, yeah. but um, or you're looking at the, the map of the podcast because on some of the podcast um, platforms, you can see where people listen. And it's like we were going through it. I'm like, oh. People in Iran listen to this. Oh, wow. People in Indonesia listen to this. You know, we had like someone in Afghanistan listening. And I'm like, I don't know if that's a soldier or if that's like somebody living in Afghanistan. Either way, that's dope. You know what I mean? Like, and so like knowing that our, our, we, you have this, this reach that like, and, and from a podcast perspective, I mean, for the people listening, I mean, if you listen to this on audio, it's just me and you, you know, I'm just hearing your ear right now. You know what I'm saying? We just talking right now. It's like yeah. we homies and stuff. <laughs> and so I got homies in Japan and homies in, in Korea and, home, you know, it's like, how'd that happen? But you, you just, you just start, you know, you know, that's someone's listening right now. Probably they like, oh, this Evan dude from America. He's awesome. You know, I like this dude, you know, and yeah. you're like, where, where he at? Oh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh man! And for everybody listening, we're going to be dropping uh, the Name It podcast so you can check it out. And we're hoping Dr. Palmer does the same because he does pull a little bit more in terms of listening listening than than we do. But we're building we're building towards that. 
Um, and can I even ask like a few steps backward, how did naming it actually come about? Right? How, how did you get it off the ground? Uh, it was, I, I think, um, it was an idea first, you know, I, I just wanted to do some sort of podcast. I was like, this is, I was listening to different podcasts. I was like, this is something that we have access to. Um, I'm listening to how people are creating them. And like, I started doing some research and figuring out that I didn't need like a sound studio and, and all this stuff. Like, you know, you just needed a mic. And I just got, um, started asking colleagues. So I was like, you know, I could go and just talk, but I don't know if I, if anyone wants to listen to me. So I was like, let's, let me work with somebody and maybe we can like figure this out. So I talked to different people. I ended up um, talking to Lamisha, to Dr. Lamisha Hill. And um, I think that we kind of matched in terms of entrepreneurial um, energy. Mm -hmm. And um, so that led to kind of, I was like, do you want to do this? And she was like, yeah, when do you want to start? You know, and that was like a big deal for me because like I talked to other people who I love and I adore, but at the same time, they weren't really seeing it as something they wanted to do right then, you know. And so that kind of get up and go was like what I was looking for. And so we got together, we started talking about, you know, what this would look like. Um, like the, I, I I think together, like I think I'm, I think I suggested the name, but like it was like kind of a together kind of situation where we were going over what it was going to be. Um, and um, yeah, I, after that, like once we were talking about it, it was like, I went and I found, I went on to Nextdoor um, and found a mic. You know, one of my neighbors had a had a, a Yeti all-purpose microphone. You know, I think you might have one of those right there. Yeah, exactly, yeah, shout do. out to Yeti. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's the same mic. Yeah, yeah we got, exactly you know, got that. And you know, if you set it, you can, you got the, the settings for the different arrays on the back. So we had, exactly. you know, so we sit in this, uh, we actually recorded from the office I'm in right now in my office and oh. she sit across the, the desk from me and we had it arrayed. So it would be on an interview array. So it would go to her and it go to me. Um, and, uh, and we would just start talking. And I think our first episode, we, uh, we talked about uh, our, our, the first episode we talked about our mentors and what black psychology was and what psychology was and we just kind of did this introductory thing and we were still trying to figure out what it was and what we were going to be doing and how how the show was going to work um and i think we were also trying to figure out what our voice was mm -hmm. and the second episode this all started in uh july of 2016. Um, if you know about july of 2016 that was also the summer where um, multiple black men got killed on camera. So, yeah. you know, Philandro Castillo and Al Al Alton Sterling, and, yeah. you know, there's like a, just a, one after another, one after another is happening. And so in between those uh, podcasts, those, some of those shootings happened and we saw it and it changed the character of the podcast. So the naming it episode one, it's kind of like episode one of Star Trek, you know what I'm saying, where they had like the different characters. And like yeah. it was like wasn't Kirk, it was kind of different. It, yeah, quality was different. It was like episode two, like episode one was like, "Hi, I'm a psychologist. We want to talk about psychology, and we're also going to bring in social justice." Right? Episode two was like, "Fuck y'all." Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was like, it was like, oh, what the hell are we living in? What is this garbage? Uh -huh. You know, it's just like, like the anger was just like palatable, and it was real. You know, it was, mm -hmm. it was what was happening. We were in the midst of Black Lives Matter blowing up. And it was happening for us too. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's also kind of one of the things that makes naming it dope um, is that we were part of a movement that was happening. You know, we weren't just commenting on it, we were living in it. Yeah. And I don't mm -hmm. even know that we would have said it while we were recording. Like, we weren't saying, like, oh, we are Black Lives Matter or something like that. But I do think we had part, you know, we're, we're, we're part of the, the process, you yeah. know, a little small part, but a part, yeah. you know? Yeah. Which is important because when you look back at, you know, all these, I think, revolutionary moments, right? You, one of the cool things for me as a student is to see how psychologists positively, especially Black psychologists, positively contributed in, in elements of activism, in elements of, you know, raising awareness, contextualizing, and, and, and just seeking to make life better for, you know, Black, black people, brown people. Um, and to hear that you were able to engage in this process through podcasting, right? 
in a natural way, just following your intuition and your, like your moral compass almost, that's, that's beautiful to me. I think that's incredible. Yeah. So again, like, shout out to you. Like, and, and again, I know it's not, it's not all you. I get the, the, but I got you on the podcast right now. So like I said, I have to play a hype man. I got to do it. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like it was me and Lamisa and we were, you know, I think it, I think the thing about once you start doing this stuff publicly, that's one, like as a psychologist, um, we're all taught not to be public. You know, that's mm -hmm. one of the first things we're taught. It's like keep stuff secret, keep your client stuff secret and keep your name out of, out of it, out of, out of the, the people's mouth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and so you have to kind of go against that if you're going to do anything public. And I think that black psychologists have to really buck against that. If you're really going to try to help our community, you can't quietly do that. You know, like it, it, one way or another, you're going to be involved with activism. Yeah. Um, and so I think for, for me, um, naming it was a place where I was able to stop yelling at the news and start, you know, communicating with people about what I saw from my professional expertise mm -hmm. um, was a problem and how to, to kind of, to approach that from, a, from I think a professional and clinical space that I don't think other people could just put out there. You know, I, I, like it wasn't, we weren't journalists doing journalism. We were black psychologists and psychologists who were black talking about the stuff that impacted our communities and other communities from our perspective. And I know it might sound like I'm just saying this, but I, I do think it's extremely admirable, again, to me, and I'm sure a lot of people who, who know you, uh, that it didn't just stop with uh, naming it, right? You've extended this type of work and this type of passion into all facets of your professional life. And I, I hope I can transition into your most recent project, right? Where it is this beautiful children's book. Um, I think you got a copy of it with you? I do. You want me to put it in front of the camera? Is that what we do? I'm for you to put it in front of the camera. Yeah. Um, there it goes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping you could talk about how some of that revolutionary fire that you just spoke about maybe inspired Daddy, Why Am I Brown? Um. It's funny because it really does like it is the fire that like when um, a few years ago I was um, at home and my wife, my partner, she showed she came home from work and at the time she worked um, in in a school setting, um, K through 12 setting and a little apparently a little girl um, had come up to her and was in tears, a little little black girl. Um, and, you know, when she went to kind of uh, comfort her and see what was going on, because that's what you do, uh, the little girl basically told her that she was in class and the teacher had been talking about skin color and they had done some sort of project. And one of her white um, classmates said that her skin looked like poop. Jeez. Right? And so obviously my wife is like, you know, she... She's, she's processing the emotions of having to take care of that little girl during the day, you know? And for me, I'm witnessing this. And, you know, I joke with my friends and I, I, I joke, but I'm, I'm being honest about this too. You ever see the, the movie Inside Out? Yeah. So you know the little yeah. homunculus inside and they have like the, the sadness and the joy uh -huh. and the disgust and then they got anger. And then like, one of them is going to be in the control when you become an adult, you know, and it changes for different people. Mine is the red one. Shout out. <laughs> <I'm angry. laughs> like I, that's where I live. It is, it is part of me. It's, you know, it doesn't drive me. It doesn't, or it doesn't direct me, but it definitely drives me. Okay. Um, you know, and so you can imagine inside I'm looking, you know, I basically in this moment, it's like my wife who I care about more than anybody, you know what I'm saying? is 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 in distress about this you know and also vicariously this little girl who i haven't ever met i don't know anything about except for that she's this little little black girl is also in distress right mm -hmm. and i can't do nothing because that ain't my school that ain't my you know it's like i can't do anything except for like try to be comforting to my to my partner and um 
so there was like a, a level of anger, but also like a level of helplessness, mm-hmm. right? Of like, what do I do here? Um, and this wasn't the first time, you know, we had talked about stuff like, or that like, you know, I had a story or she had a story or I had a client who was talking about something. And in this moment I was thinking, and I was also doing naming it at the time. Um, and I was like, you know, how do I constructively deal with this, this irritation I'm feeling right now? How do I, how do I do something generative and something that builds something? And so I was going to go write something down and I, I was like, you know what? I, I can use language and I can use a, a perspective that comes from the work that I do to help a teacher have this conversation better, you know? Um, because it's not, you know, teachers are, are experts in teaching, but that doesn't mean they're, they're subject matter experts, you know? And, you know, if we're talking about race and ethnicity and culture, that's my wheelhouse. That's what I talk about, you know? Um, and so basically uh, I sat down and I wrote, I actually wrote the book in like uh, in like less than an hour. You know, I was just, cause it's not a lot of dialogue, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like, you know, as a psychologist, I'm like, man, like people are like, you wrote a book. I'm like, well, is it a book? <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't, it's not like 10,000 pages or 10,000 words, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's okay, but yes, it is a book. And people have been like, no, it's a book. Shut up, dude. And I'm like, okay, it's a book. It's a book. Um, <laughs> but like I did, I wrote it really quickly and it, I felt better, but I didn't know what to do with it. And so it kind of sat for a while because I really had no idea how to publish like a children's book. Um, so I sat on it, but I, I was like reading it and I'm like, this is actually, I feel like this is good work. I, I've done something here. So I was like, let me let me try to find out about publishing. And everywhere I went, it became kind of like, oh, this is a long process that you probably aren't going to be able to be successful with. Um, and what that usually means to me when I hear something like that is like, bet I'll figure it out. You know, like whatever. You know, I'm a black man with a doctorate. I don't know what the hell I told you. You know, like this shit don't happen often. You know, so <laughs> uh, so basically what I ended up doing is I, I kind of put it away for a little while and I finally picked it back up and I started looking for publishers or, or actually for illustrators. Um, and I tried asking some people. Um, I had some contacts. I looked for some illustrators and community and stuff, but everybody wanted to get paid up front. And real talk, just didn't have the money to do that. You know, and so I was like trying to figure out how to do this. I was also wanting to find someone to go draw brown people, black people. Um, and I ended up on this, uh, this, this, uh, this social media um, site called Upwork. And um, I found that there were illustrators on Upwork and there were illustrators from all over the world. And so I put up a little ad saying I'm looking for an illustrator. And then the people who responded of them uh, one person really stuck out. Her name's Wenda uh, Muli Asari, and she um, is from Indonesia, um, and she charged at a level that I could actually afford, um, which also was it coincided with like life having you know my career has been uh, you know expanding since I first wrote the book. So I also had more capital than I had at that time. So like it's not that it was super cheaper, but it was. It was now manageable. Yeah. <laughs> it was now something where I didn't have to be like, uh, babe, can I use this amount of, you know, yeah, right. it was like, it was like, no, I could afford this. And so um, when that occurred, I also had to think about how to storyline it because I just had this text. I didn't have any images or any of that stuff. So we had to talk about like how to, what what each scene was like. And so there was like this whole process of doing that. Also, I had used language that I thought was pretty good, but actually wasn't the best language in terms of talking about skin color. Um, and so my wife hit me up to that. She was like, yo, you know, like you're, you're, you're calling this little girl mocha and you're calling saying coffee and stuff like that. That's not good. Don't use food because we're not to be consumed. And I was like, you know, and I got to be real. The first, when she first said it, I was a little resistant. I was like, I know how to talk about color. Ain't nothing wrong with talk, you know? And, and then I was like, <laughs> I was like you tripping dude like you know and she had sent me some articles and so i read the articles and i was like you're right you know this makes sense and so i i utilized some of the the, the articles that she told me about and i changed the color schemes so like for instance um the main character joy um her skin color is terracotta 
terracotta brown with um with warm undertones right yeah right you know and isn't that a nice way of saying like and it, and it's descriptive you can go look up terracotta brown and you will find what that looks like you know um the skin color for my character because it's, it's like a, a like a fantasy of like a family that i would have um so my character's color is uh uh russet brown with the warm undertones right my um my my wife's color um i think we put in a fawn right because okay. uh, she has she has much lighter skin and so which was the, the thing that made it kind of a cool dichotomy because it's like we got this little girl who's got brown skin that's in between mom and dad which is pretty much i mean that's that's black people's experience most of us we have like especially if you're talking about african americans one parent and the other parent ain't necessarily going to match skin tone, you know, but that also is like for folks who have multi-ethnic households and like yeah. multi-racial households. It also works for folks who have adoptive households, um, which is one of the things that I, I'm really a little bit excited about because, you know, I've worked with, you know, transracial adoption is, is it's a thing and it, it can be a problem. And one of the hard things about it is as a black person seeing little black kids, um you want to help but how do you uh, how do you how do you give that help because just going up to some parent and being like yo help with this kid's hair or something like that that's a yeah. lot you know mm-hmm. you're probably gonna cause some stuff but then i was like man but having this book out they can have a conversation about color in a way that's healthy and 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 positive without having to feel set upon you know mm-hmm. Similarly, I think you can do that with multi-ethnic families and you can do that with just kids in general. I actually like white kids. I'd love white kids to read the book and be able to not come with the poop thing. Yeah. They're talking about, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, I think, so I, even though it's a, a book with a black, a little, actually a black girl with a multi-ethnic background on the cover, right? It's a book that I think can be used by a lot of different people to educate themselves to help with their conversations with kids and to and and here's the piece that i think is kind of that made me think oh this is cool like this is something that i want to involve myself in more um a lot of my work is with adults i work with i teach graduate students i work with adults and in in as clients i go and consult with companies and stuff and a lot of my work is helping adults learn how to interact with each other in a much more healthy and affirming way that's not that's less laden by oppression and 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 all the things that come with you know the racial and power dynamics that happen but i was thinking like with children's books like this you can actually impact the development of kids so that when they become adults they don't need that as much and i was like what what's more transformative than that what's more about what how how could i be more of a black psychologist than to like address the root problem like the, the initial learning and development of children that indoctrinates them into oppressive systems. Combating that at the source, I was like, well, okay, I, I can do that. I can I can invest in that. And so where, I have like two questions off the top. One, even before I get to where people can find the book, where did you find, like, do you open up a Crayola box and you found terracotta? Like, where do you even, where do you even find those colors from? Those are beautiful. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> I went, so there was a, there's an article, um, and I'm sorry, I can't off the top of my head, like pull it up, but um, I maybe I'll give them to you in the notes. Okay. Um, but there's an article that just talked about writing skin, writing about skin color. Actually, we on podcast, I can do this. Give me one second. I'm, I'm going to keep talking, but I'm just going to put it in the Google search real quick. I didn't have to say Google, but that's what it is. But um, yeah, so right. writing... <laughs> This is the beauty of the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. You have access to technology. We won't keep, we won't put up this video component. Yeah, but. Yeah. There, there we go. There we go. I got it. I got it. See, uh, it's, uh, uh, is this it? Sorry. Cut, cut, cut this stuff, you know? Yeah, we'll, right, you know? We'll, chop, we'll chop it up a little bit. Uh, okay. So it was writing with color. Uh, is is the article that that was the main one I looked at. It's on Tumblr. And uh, I want to see if I can say who it's from. It was written by 
It was written by I'm not seeing the author. Um, it was written kind of as a resource. Mod mm-hmm. uh, Collette is the person who wrote it. Okay. Um, but like basically, that was where I started off. So like on this art, if you if you look it up, it's writingwithskincolor.tumblr.com. Okay. Um, if you find that, you'll see that they have color charts and they talk about how you should talk about skin. They have a bunch of resources that I was able to access, and um, talking about like the, the 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 tones and the undertones and like how you can like use different words. Um, and then from there, I went and I looked at stuff like makeup charts, you know, because like like Fenty. I went to Fenty and looked up Fenty makeup charts and stuff and started looking because they talk about that in ways that other you just can't find other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I like put a um, in the book, I actually put a skin tone chart so that, you know, kids oh. could just look it up, you know. Um, and so, yeah, it, that's that's kind of where that came from. And so if you do get the book, you you don't have to go online to look it up to because you have like terracotta and band and sandal and tawny and hickory and ebony and deep bronze and ivory and porcelain and pale ivory you know like so i think that though i've gotten a lot of pictures of kids like with their hands on the book mm-hmm. you know parents sending those to me and honestly that's dope to me like yeah. where you know the utility of it and like people being able to kind of be like yo this is this is cool you know and and it's different people it's not just black folks you know it's it's, it's like black folks and it's latin folks and it's white folks and it's, mm-hmm. you know it's mixed families and it's black families and it's you know it's, it's uh someone just a south asian family because they have different skin tones in their family and they're south mm-hmm. but like you know and and they they were using it you know and i'm just like man this is this is dope i just hope more people can see it and, and get a hold of it and I think that's the most beautiful thing to to hear two almost origin stories for two of your projects, right? To witness, like again, like the fire that went in to the creation and the inception of the ideas, and how some of them took longer than others, but all of them came to fruition. I said this before, but I think it was more than beautiful. It's inspirational, right? To take this experience that you had, right, where this girl came crying. And fast forward, and now you have this book where people all over the world placing their hand on it, feeling represented. That's the beauty, I think, of Black psychology, putting in that work, right? African-centered, all of that, like leading with that activism, being seen. I think the stuff that you do is the perfect example of what everybody should follow. I appreciate that, bro. And I, I'm not. I'm not even going to push back on the origin story uh, <laughs> terminology, like because I was like origin story. I don't got no. I ain't. I ain't Miles Morales. Miles Morales is dope. I wrote something, uh, but like, no, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, I think that. I think that. The thing for me, um, and uh, you know, speaking now, like really directly speaking to the students in the student circle and any other young folks who are listening um people talk about like what work is you know and like i, I think there's a saying about if you find something that you love you never work um i don't believe that that's 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 hot garbage that's not true <laughs> um it's that if you find something you love you don't mind the work mm. and, you, and, and you you feel compelled to work you know so doing the podcast doing the 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 book doing the other stuff that I do, um, a lot of times, if, if, if this was something that didn't matter to me, it would be really easy to give it up and not not pursue it and not do anything with it. A lot of, as it is right now, a lot of times, like, <laughs> my wife is like looking at me like, you work too much, stop, you know? And I'm like, I don't know how to do that exactly. <laughs> I'll try a little bit, you know? <laughs> but like, it's just because the things that I've, I've arrayed for myself, they, they matter to me. And I think that, particularly for students you can really build your career around things that you love you know you think about what is it that that makes you that gets you up in the morning and that like gets you moving and like think about your little inside out homunculi right like which one is the one that 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 motivates you for me again it's anger 
So, like, if you look at my projects, like, I'm pissed at something, and then I try to fix it. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I'm like, that's some BS. Like, even if going all the way back to the student circle, I was like, how dare y'all do this? You know, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit five years of my life to making sure it's better. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's like, who does that? But that's that's what got me going. And I think that other people work from other space. Some people work from a space of joy and they just want to like love into the stuff. And some people work from a space of like sadness where they're like, I want to, you know, I want to fix this because it makes me feel bad. You know, um, a lot of people work with disgust. Like this is some bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like, but like, I think really it very much is like, um, for me, it's like, I see something in the world that I feel like I might be able to have some impact on and try to do something about it because otherwise I'm just gonna be pissed. Mm -hmm. And in wrapping up, like, where can people find this book? Where, where can people purchase? You can purchase Daddy, Why Am I Brown? A Healthy Conversation about Skin Color and Family. Uh, by Dr. Bedford Palmer. <laughs> you, can, you can find that. Um, so you can go to my website. Uh, uh, I made a website for the book called Deeper Than Color. So deeper than with the A color uh, dot com. And one of the first things you can do is purchase it there. But generally, you can find it on Amazon. Um, I believe you could order it from Barnes and Noble and from other book booksellers. Um, so if you just look it up, you can go into Goodreads. Um, and actually, if you buy it from other places besides Amazon, that actually spreads where it is. And uh, if you go to your local bookstore and request it, then that also spreads it. I'll, I'll say this to y'all, like, um, and it, you know, I know, like, I don't want to be about like the advertising because I'll be honest about you. Like, this is not about making a bunch of money. Like, mm -hmm. you really aren't supposed to make a bunch of money when you self-publish a book. Um, Every time somebody leaves a review, every time someone buys it at a, a, a novel place, um, every time someone buys it on Amazon, every time someone searches for the name, every time someone like puts something on social media and shares it, like that makes it more likely that some little brown girl is going to have somebody read this book to them or before they meet them and keep them from having that same situation where someone in, insults their humanity because they weren't taught well enough or they didn't understand well enough or they just didn't get the empathy that they should have and didn't get the words they should have. So my goal really with uh, Daddy, Why Am I Brown is to do what I wanted to do in that moment with when I was talking to my wife, which is I don't want that little girl crying. You know, I don't want that little boy crying. I want them to have an experience where they talk to their parents or they talk to their teacher or they talk to their, their whoever. And when they first really start thinking about their skin, it's something that's beautiful and wonderful and it comes from their ancestors. It comes from the places where their people are and there's an explanation for it. And it has nothing to do with any of the negative stuff that white supremacy would put on them. Dr. Bedford Palmer, thank you so much for extending your experiences, your wisdom, your just your story, you know, and extending the work that you've done. Um, is there any closing parting remarks you'd like to offer for those listening? Um, yeah, yeah, first, I appreciate you giving me this platform. I appreciate the, all the, the, the warm words and kind words you've, you've given towards me. And um, I think, for the student circle out there um, and any black student or any, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say black students right now, cause you know, PLC, you can feel me, but like for my black students right now, um, you, you can make whatever change you want. You know, uh, y'all have the power to do what you need to do, make the space into the space you need it to be, call us to account when we're not doing what we're supposed to do as, as you know, older people and elders. Um, and understand that, like, I mean, in the end, everybody's special, you know, like the, the, the elders are special, the great people were special, I'm special, you're special, but like all that stuff's attainable. Like Wade Nobles was a kid when he first started Navy Side. I was a kid when I first started Navy Side. Dr. White was like, you know, when he first started his journey, he was a kid too. You know, Dr. White, I don't know if you know Dr. Joseph White, but Dr. Joseph mm -hmm. White, um, one of the founders of Navy Side, 
a lot of his stories that he tells you about when, or he would tell us about, um, started when he was like a kid and his mom had him sitting under a tree trying to figure out how to make something from nothing, you know? Like, we all start off in that space. And so y'all make decisions to get to where you want to be. You want to be the next Naeem Akbar, the next, uh, you know, Janet Helms, the next, like, uh, Pepper Palmer. You know, Nah, man, like, I ain't, I ain't there. But, like, you know, the next person, like, just make that happen because mm-hmm. you can. Like, in the end, we're not special. That's beautiful. And this has been another episode of Rooted, a very special one. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening and take care.